Welcome to the Diversity, Inclusion, and Belonging Teams podcast, Why Language Matters. This podcast is meant to explore words, their meaning, and how we can use language to be inclusive. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Cultural Conversations. These conversations are a space for us to get to know other Sunrunners through learning about their culture and different lived experiences. It's a safe and respectful place to listen, learn, and engage by asking questions, and we do encourage you to ask questions. Uh, I'm Nicole Doyle. My pronouns are she, her, and hers. I'm located in Orange County, California, and I'm the program lead on the diversity, inclusion, and belonging team here at Sunrun. I'll be here to help moderate the Q&A at the end of the discussion. And I'm really excited to introduce you all to Michelle. Um, Michelle came to us and, and came to the diversity team and, and during one of our programs and said, hey, um, I don't think y'all have as much diversity represented. I'm happy to offer myself as um, a subject. And so we said, yes, thank you so much. And I'm really, really happy that she did because just getting to know uh, Michelle has been amazing. Um, hearing her story is so inspiring and captivating um and i'm really excited for you all to hear it as well so uh without further ado here's michelle thank you everybody for joining um this is actually quite the journey for me to do this so uh, my name is michelle stefani my pronouns are she her hers i'm on the channel operations team as a partner portfolio manager I've been here with Sunrun for almost 10 months now. However, I have been in the industry for seven years, doing everything from marketing, in-home, sales, retail, customer experience, operations. Customer experience and operations is actually where my passion lies. So I'm actually very, very thankful that I actually get to be a part of creating a planet run by the sun here at Sunrun. I reached out to Nicole, like she said, a few months ago during Pride Month after listening to my first Why Language Matters. It was the Pride uh, call. Hearing all the amazing stories others have lived and experienced and hearing what they went through to become the person that they are today, um, I was simply wanting to let her know that there are a few topics that I did not hear during this. So I reached out and what turned into doing a cultural conversation on what would have been a short discussion um, about how I, I helped the same-sex couple become a family turned into a much larger asking, who am I? How did I become the person I am today? So the question remains, who am I? Well, in order for people to actually get to know me and understand the person I have become, you need to hear about my journey and this, what I've done and uh, taken as far as my trials and tribulations, heartaches, celebrations, there's so much more. So who am I? I was born in the 70s, Southern California. I've lived in Fallbrook as um, a small kid. My parents live there, my, their families live there, they raised them there. I have a sister that is 13 months younger than me, a brother who's four years younger than me, making me the oldest of three. My parents divorced when I was five, however, they did share custody. And I lived between my mom and my dad in Riverside and San Diego County. Um, I was born here, raised here, and I still live here in Southern California. My mom was a school bus driver. She did this full time for as long as I can remember. We used to bounce around at different areas here in the Inland Empire, uh, stay there here and there for short periods of time. And with that, it included changing elementary schools often. Uh, Mom ended up remarrying when I was eight years old and we moved to a little town in the middle of nowhere called Awanga, which most people don't know how to spell that or say it. (laughs) 
I went to Cottonwood Elementary. This was a kindergarten through eighth grade with approximately 100 kids in the entire school. My childhood best friend was from third grade through eighth grade. She was the blonde hair, blue eyed girl with the same or the name brand shoes. She had the clothes. She was the popular one. Um, and I was her best friend. Um, a lot of times I would get teased because I would get a lot of hand-me-downs from Tammy, my best friend, including shoes, her clothes, and a lot of times we actually shopped at Payless. Um, you don't hear the term very often, but I was considered what's called a latchkey kid. This is a term back in the 80s that usually when I would get home from school, I would be the only one. I mean, I'd watch over my siblings and my mom would get home late. I had a hard time as a kid trying to fit in. I was always a little different looking than those in my class. I had the olive, the olive complexion. I tanned very easily. Most kids in my school were very light-skinned Caucasian. My last name growing up for my dad was Garcia. However, I did not know a bit of Spanish at all. My dad was also taught English as a kid, so he doesn't know Spanish. And my paternal grandparents spoke Spanish fluently. However, when they, back in that era, they were raised not to speak Spanish. It was English. I was a straight A student. I made honor roll for my eighth grade promotion. I grew up in a bubble out in Awanga, and I thought I knew this, um, but I had no clue what was in store as I left eighth grade and I entered into high school. It was officially the 90s, and I was in high school. <laughs> I rode a school bus. I actually rode two. My mom was the bus driver that would meet the in-town bus to take us Awonka kids to high school every morning. It was about an hour and a half into town and an hour and a half to get home. So my day started at 5.30 in the morning till 6 p.m. at night. Many of my friends from Cottonwood went to different schools because of the boundaries. Uh, I was given the option to pick from two schools. Most of my friends went to Hamilton, which is up in Anza. It's a small town, again, in the middle of nowhere. But I wanted to do something different. So I picked West Valley, which was a brand new high school in Hemet. Um, again, I was alone trying to fit in. My high school had what was called little cliques, which I don't know if they use that term anymore these days, but you all, you belong to different groups. I picked a brand new school thinking it would be cool with lots of opportunities. And here I was now a loner. My last name would categorize me. Teachers would put me in groups with students whose first language was Spanish. It was very, very awkward for me. Um, but I started hanging out with those groups, and they gave me a nickname, La Gringa. Well, basically, I was just always the, the white girl. Um, I hated, hated my freshman year of high school. I really regretted picking that school because um, not only did I not fit in as a student, I was not able to join any extracurricular activities such as sports, uh, acting, none of that because this was after school, and I didn't have transportation because I lived so far from town. Just before the end of my freshman year was coming to a close, um, a young boy came up to me and introduced himself. As a reminder, I was an outsider. I lived in the shadows. I never got the attention. My freshman year was coming to a close, and here I had this attention. I was a 14, and I officially had my first boyfriend, which would change my life. The 90s continued, and I was in my sophomore year. The school, um, everything was good. I was making friends. Uh, it was amazing. I had that boyfriend. It was the same boy from the year before. However, with that, my grades and attendance began to really deteriorate, meaning I wasn't going and I wasn't doing my school um, studies. 
My parents tried to get me refocused back on school. They always knew that my relationship with my boyfriend was moving too quickly. And my mom had the talk with me early on. She even took me to the doctors just to be safe. Just as my parents were getting ready to actually pull me from West Valley, they were going to send me to Hamilton um, just so they could keep an eye on me. I was a little bit closer to home. I started feeling ill. Something was wrong. My mom looked at, uh, took me to the doctors, and uh, that's where we discovered that I was actually 12 weeks pregnant. I was only 15 years old. I was a teen mom. Uh, thankfully, uh, my mom was there to help me because I was a baby having a baby. This caused a lot of pain for my parents. This was, I was the one after all. I mean, I was expected to go to college. I wanted to be an attorney. It was always debate. I love debate. <laughs> that was one of my dreams. I was 15 and I was scared. My parents ended up pulling me out of school and they put me on home studies. I was still a teenager that was being rebellious and I would leave home without permission, staying out overnight. So they ended up giving me an ultimatum. They said, if you're going to stay here and live under this roof, it has to be by our rules. And at 15, you think you know everything, right? I mean, at 15. So I ended up leaving home. I was five months pregnant when I moved out. I moved in with my boyfriend and his family. This was a huge culture shock for me. Uh, they were Hispanic. Spanish was their first language in the home. And here I am moving in. I had no idea. Uh, I'll never forget dinner that first night. It was like carne asada, rice, beans, tortillas. I remember asking my boyfriend, can I get a fork? And I kind of got laughed at because they would eat with the tortillas. <laughs> so um, it was a big culture shock for me. And I learned Spanish by watching novelas, by watching Spanish Sesame Street. And I continued my education at Esperanza High School, which was a school for pregnant girls and young moms. On December the 10th of 1992, I gave birth to my daughter, Vanessa. I just turned 16 the month prior. My mom and boyfriend were there with me during my, my labor. It was an all natural labor because at 16, I didn't know I could ask for medication and I don't ever recall them even asking me if I wanted anything either. But at the end, she was perfect. She was healthy. She was my Nessa. That is her nickname for her. I went back to school where I was able to bring my daughter with me. I started once again excelling in my grades. I caught up on a lot of my sophomore classes that I failed the year prior. I continued living with my boyfriend and his family. It was in a single wide trailer. Now there were seven of us in that with him and his siblings and his parents. I got my first job that spring at a KFC. Things started to really take a toll. My boyfriend dropped out. He was away a lot, hanging with his friends. He was a teenager. While I stayed home and I watched the baby, I worked, I did school. As my junior school year was coming to a close, I was struggling to catch up and keep my job. Fall of 93, I went to the doctors for my routine annual visit so I could actually request a new form of birth control at the time. So, Set it and forget it, nor plant, because I was having issues with my other one, weight gain. And to my surprise, they said, we can't do that for you because you're already pregnant. I had no idea how far along I was. I was so, so scared. Uh, they did an ultrasound and I laid there in shock and I will never, never forget looking to my left and 
seeing my daughter, who was about 11 months old, sitting there on the floor playing. Um, I just turned 17. And again, I was there all alone. The doctor did the ultrasound just to determine how far along I was. And there on that screen was a picture of my twin girls. Fraternal twins. It was two eggs that released and both were fertilized. So, sorry guys. So at 17 years old, I was pregnant with twins. When I left that doctor, I remember calling my mom at the payphone because they didn't have cell phones back then, uh, just outside and her not believing me at first. Actually, a lot of people didn't believe me that I was pregnant with twins. I had to show them an ultrasound picture. If my life was tough as with one kid, as a, te with having, as a teenager with one child, it was about to get even more difficult with three. I was unable to continue high school because they made a change. The guidelines had changed. You were only allowed to bring your child up until the age of 12 months old. After a year, we needed to find childcare. So there I was at 17 years old, and I was a high school dropout. I gave birth to uh, via emergency cesarean to my daughters, Elizabeth and Esmeralda. I call them Liz and Emmy on May 1st, 1994, struggling and needing help I ended up moving back in with my parents. My parents adored my girls and spoiled them rotten. Life was tough. I had an 18 month old. I had two newborns and I was still with my boyfriend, their dad, who swore things would get better and we'd be again together again soon. I lived with my mom and my stepdad for six months. And when we got our first apartment with the help of my parents, it was a two bedroom, one bath apartment in a very rough neighborhood in San Jacinto, California. <laughs> Rent was only $300 per month. This again was back in the 90s, 94-ish. Um, this was when I was first introduced to the County of Riverside welfare system. Up until then, I did not ask for help, but I knew I needed it. I needed it for my girls and I needed it for me. Their dad brought in income here and there with odds and ends. Our relationship was already strained and kids Having the kids did not help that. We argued a lot. Life went on. We got by month by month. Lots of moving around every 12 months. Uh, community food pantries. And even so much as having to sell off food coupons from my paper food stamp book for cash to be able to buy my girls diapers. Life went on and we continued to grow, but I did not continue to learn from unplanned pregnancies. I got pregnant again when I was 20 years old with my final child, Christian. I had a tubal ligation at 21 years old. Four kids was enough. Little did I know, I was dealing with postpartum depression, something that was so taboo and nobody talked about it in the 90s. Um, today, it's, it's so different, but in the 90s, this was just something that was never, never talked about. So I didn't realize it until later on that this is exactly what I was dealing with. My early 20s, life was a struggle. Again, we lived welfare check to welfare check, hid that pregnancy with my son. I ended up getting a job as a school bus driver. I kind of followed in my mom's steps for a little while there. I was a school bus driver for six years. I wanted to be a stay-at-home mom, but we needed the income, and I did not want to be stuck in that welfare system forever. My relationship was now very toxic as our arguments became more and more uh, insults and the, you know, they got worse and worse. 
so I mean it was just going down the wrong wrong path what started off as emotional and verbal abuse quickly turned physical shortly after their dad began using drugs I will never forget when I found I found some paraphernalia in the bathroom and I confronted him on it that evening I ended up in the hospital with a fractured jaw I had bruises around my neck in the shape of a handprint and all of this was in front of our children because of the marks left it became a felony and he was placed into jail now you would think that that would be the end of it right however domestic violence it's a cycle and it's a very hard one to break you get told so many times that you're nothing you're nobody you have four kids nobody's going to want you and you start to believe that so the next day i bailed him out of jail myself with money that i had earned i also quit my job because i did not have steady child care and i didn't have that help from their dad their dad really didn't really watch them but i was in that cycle so i came across an ad in a magazine about egg donation my aunt was going through infertility this is something I wanted to be able to do and then earn some extra cash to help with the family. However, after I visited that doctor, I didn't think it was for me, but he told me about gestational surrogacy. I obviously had no trouble getting pregnant. I could be a stay-at-home mom while my kids were in elementary school or just starting to get into school. So I started that process and it was against my boyfriend's wishes. My mom was my biggest cheerleader and support person during my first surrogacy. The kid's dad, I didn't have that support. I did all my own injections required for being a gestational surrogate. July of 2002, I delivered a healthy little girl for her intended parents. I did not think I would ever do this again because the agreement with my first surrogacy was that after I delivered, I would have no contact afterward. However, the nurse from the clinic that did the transfer called me and said, you have to meet Wim and Sarah, which I agreed to do. And I knew instantly that I wanted to help them have a family. So. I agreed and we started that process. I'll never forget being so adamant that I did not want to carry twins, anything more than twins, because that twin pregnancy was tough. So when we had a successful transfer and we went to our first ultrasound to see that I was pregnant with triplets, I looked over at Sarah. She was in shock, but she was terrified. She was terrified and she said to me, I don't know how I could ask you to carry three children. I told her, it's going to be okay. If you were meant to have triplets, I will do everything in my power to take care of them for as long as my body will allow me. I delivered three premature yet very healthy little babies, two boys and a girl, 18 years ago this month. I was in the hospital at 27 weeks pregnant, and I delivered the triplets October of 2003 at 31 weeks. Not a day went by that Sarah did not make it to that hospital to be by my side to meet her babies. All this took place down in San Diego during what was called the Cedar Fire. It was a fire in 2003 that caused horrible smoke in the hospital. My mom was still my main support person and was with me during my C-section. My personal life was still that roller coaster. Time was passing, kids were growing, and abuse was still happening. I was getting to a point, however, where I was ready to get off that ride and to try to break that chain. Life at home was crazy. I was over my husband. Yes, we ended up getting married in 99. I realized I could not fix him or this marriage 
Now I was ready to change, but staying and staying and doing were two different things as he did not take me seriously when I was trying to make him leave the house. So I ended up filing for divorce as well as a restraining order, hoping that he would finally take me serious. It was granted. And I did in fact break that chain. I was ready to move forward. However, I was still very fearful for the repercussions that could possibly happen. And I was being threatened many times by him. I was back in a place where I started second guessing if me leaving was the right thing to do. I had guilt. Me, I was the guilty person. Once my divorce was finalized, he ended up in prison shortly thereafter. Thankfully, I did not have to live in fear any longer. November of 2004, I was still going through my divorce. I ended up calling up a very good friend of mine and I told her, I got to go out. I need to have a good time. I need to forget about what's going on right now. Uh, please put something together with a group of, of adults because I've been hanging around my kids. And I didn't have many friends, even as an adult. So there were a couple couples. And then there was Chris. So he was the one who was also going through his own divorce. And he was also the very loud and obnoxious life of the party in that group. Now, generally, I didn't, I couldn't stand him. <laughs> I couldn't stand being around him. I was very opposite of him, but I knew at that time I needed to step outside of my norm. And I did. So we went out and we all had fun. After 13 years of being with someone who ingrained in my mind, you're nothing, you're nobody. Nobody's going to want you with four kids who at that time were 11, 10, 10, and seven. Hanging out with Chris literally changed not only my life, but our lives, my kids. He was my knight in shining armor. He rescued me. He made me see my worth. Chris and I started dating shortly after that first get together. And what I was considering previously about going back with him, it was just a mere thought never to happen again because of meeting him. He accepted not only me, but my four kids. Several around us thought we were rushing into things because we literally had just hung out and he'd asked me out on a date. Within a few weeks, he moved in with us. About a month and a half later, on December 31st, 2004, he gave me a promise ring to always be there for me and the kids. My mom, my stepdad, my dad cheered us on. They loved him. We were happy. Um, we were happy. They were happy for us. When Chris and I started dating, I was in the middle of another surrogacy. This time, it was for a same-sex couple. At the time of my first transfer, I was with my ex. It was a failed transfer, but really, it was kind of a blessing in disguise. However, my second IVF transfer, Chris was with me. He went with me to my transfer, and he became my main support person, and that, that transfer was successful. In July of 05, I gave birth to a little boy from my intended dad. That December 2005, on New Year's Eve, despite it pouring down rain, Chris and I drove to Vegas to do a drive through wedding. Got married, turned around, and we drove home to have a small reception with our family and friends. In all, I was a gestational surrogate six times for which I did it for two straight couples, two same-sex couples, and two single fathers between the years of 2001 and 2015. I was able to be with my, be the mom that I wanted to be and be in my, a part of my children's lives while still working here and there just so I could be around adults. 
my 30s, life was good. I was happy. My husband, Chris, was on a career path to become an electrician. And I was able to take care of our home while still being a surrogate mother and working. Our girls were in their preteens in middle school and my son, elementary school. And it happened. I started having baby fever. I wanted to have a baby with Chris. Now, here I am on the other side, actually wanting to be to have a child, but I'm unable to because I had a tubal ligation at 21. It was irreversible. During my C-section with the triplets, the doctor actually examined me and they noticed that my fallopian tubes were actually growing back together. So they cut them and they burned them and it was it's impossible to reverse. We looked into IVF here in the States. The cost alone was about $20,000. When you include the medication, the procedures, this was in 2009. So we traveled to the Czech Republic in Prague. Uh, it was an IVF vacation type of thing. It was a procedure. We made a vacation of it while we were in Europe, all while paying about less than half the cost of what it was in the U.S. We were there for almost three weeks. On the day of my egg retrieval, we discovered that my PCOS, which was polycystic ovarian syndrome, was more severe than we knew. The first try did not amount to retrieving any eggs. So we waited a few days to see if they could get just one. It only took one to be able to fertilize. We were unsuccessful. It was heartbreaking waking up after a failed egg transfer or an egg retrieval to be told it's unsuccessful. There's nothing that they can do. <laughs> uh, Chris comforted me uh, and said, you know, it's okay, baby. If you want to have a baby one day, we'll adopt. We tried to continue to make the most of it and enjoy that trip in the Czech Republic. Life continued to go on and the kids were growing. Now in their teen years in high school, I got some news that again changed things. About a year later, December or November of 2010, I got home, knew something was wrong. The kid's aunt was there from their dad's side, so I knew it had to be something important. It was Elizabeth. She was a junior in high school. Chris tells me, keep an open mind. And I knew exactly what they wanted to tell me. She was pregnant. She was 16. She was a baby having a baby. I was heartbroken for a brief moment, thinking I failed as her mother, but more terrified for knowing the struggles that she's going to have to overcome. I hugged her tight, told her that it would all be okay and that we will be there for her. We would do everything in our power to help her. On May 1st, 2011, this was Liz and Emmy's as she turned 17 that day, my twin's birthday, and my Nessa's senior prom. Uh, I became a grandmother, a nana, to our little Desiree at the age of 34. With the birth of Desi, we had six generations alive for a few short months while my great-grandmother was 96 years old at the time. The local paper even did a write-up. I stopped working so Elizabeth could continue high school. We did not want her to miss out in it, on any opportunities to be able to experience her senior year. So her and her sister went to homecoming, prom, grand night together. I pushed all my kids to try their best and the importance of graduating high school. The year after my oldest daughter graduated, Nessa, from high school, she came out to us and she told us that she was a lesbian. We were shocked. However, to us, it was no biggie. If she's happy, we are happy. Unfortunately, she did not get the same response from some of her dad's side of the family as they actually turned their back on her for some time. During those years, my dad came to live with us so we could help care for him. He had been diagnosed 
with a form of muscular dystrophy. It's called IBS or IBM, inclusion body myositis, which made his muscles deteriorate and eventually took away his mobility. He was able to be there, see the grandkids, and now the great-grandchild grow. It was very difficult, frustrating, and trying at times. I was caring for both a grandchild and a parent, but we did what we could. My dad was in his late 50s, and he really was pretty much a bachelor ever since my parents divorced when I was five. But watching him lose his freedom of mobility was a tough one. He stayed with us until about 2015 when we could no longer physically care for him. It forced us to make that very difficult decision to have him in a home with around-the-clock care. And though my parents divorced, they always remained really good friends. My mom would visit him often. During all of this, I got a job at a local solar company. I actually shared that flyer with my kids, wanting them to apply, and I figured, you know what, why not? So I applied, I got a job, and it was a great place. The people I worked there were amazing. Over the first year, I ended up working my way into a management position, and life was good. All my kids were doing well. This was the mid-2010s. Vanessa married her wife, Crystal. Elizabeth met a great guy after she graduated high school. She ended up having a baby. They ended up getting married. Uh, Esmeralda, uh, was, she's in a long-term relationship. And Christian, well, he was still trying to figure life out. However, the year that he graduated, I did not want to keep using the phrase, do as I say, not as I do. So in 2015, both him and I, I was 39 years old, I graduated from high school the year after I enrolled from Hemet Adult Education. My husband and I became homeowners for the first time. My goal was to buy a home, own a home before I turned 40. We closed and got our keys two weeks before my 40th birthday. Our family was good. Everything was great. Growing grandbabies were added. And at that point, we had three granddaughters. Things were good, almost too good my family started experiencing heartache, this time the loss of loved ones. Savannah, my niece, she would light up any room that she was in. She was seven years old when they diagnosed her with cancer. It took them years of her being in and out of a hospital to finally discover that she had a brain tumor that was causing her seizures. But the time it was discovered, It was too late. After starting aggressive radiation down in Children's, down in San Diego, there was nothing else that was working. She entered the hospital again just before Christmas of 2016. And that little girl was the strongest person I knew. She smiled through almost everything. She would make it a point to say hello to everyone she met, even though she felt ill. She ended up receiving a -a make-a-wish that officially declared her a princess. There was Princess Belle was there. It was a big thing. They deemed her uh, Princess Savannah. She passed away that same day, January 2017. It was a month before what would have been her eighth birthday. So childhood cancer is something I advocate for and I'm passionate about and I could go on and on about. Through all of this, my mom's health was taking a toll. She was not only... um, not taking very good care of herself. Losing Savannah hit her hard. She practically raised her. She battled diabetes, cirrhosis, 
my mom never drank. It was actually called fatty liver disease, non-alcoholic fatty liver disease. And she just was giving up. In 2018, just over a year after losing my niece, we knew something was wrong. My mom slipped into a, a diabetic coma for three weeks. Me and my stepdad were around her at the clock with her in the hospital. And then they finally told us there was nothing more that they could do. Her liver, there's just nothing more else that they could do. We were able to get her home into her bedroom uh, to get comfortable on hospice. And we were all with her when she took her last breath. Losing a parent is something nobody could be prepared for. My mom was only 62 years old. She was my best friend and loved by so many. Having to tell my dad that my mom passed away was difficult because not only was he dealing with his body that gave up on him, but his mind was also losing a battle to early onset Alzheimer's, which is how I lost my paternal grandmother, my grandma Garcia as well. When I would visit my dad, he would often ask how Savannah was or how my mom was. It was very difficult seeing my dad trapped in that body. His mind would come and go during visits. A lot of times he would think that my oldest daughter, Vanessa, when she visited him, that it was in fact me or that the grandkids uh, were in fact the little grandkids. Because of COVID, I was unable to be with him as much as before. They allowed us to do an office or a window visit for his birthday. It was very brief. And they asked me to be there for him during a procedure, which was at a hospital. So I got to be there with him to hold his hand. And for a brief moment, I gave him a hug, a kiss, said goodbye before they took him back to the facility. And he says to me, I'll see you at home, referring to when he lived with us. So the, I took back tears. I waved goodbye. This was July of 2020. And five days later, my dad passed away in his sleep. He was 67 years old. His death was hard, but it hit me differently than my mom. I knew my dad was no longer trapped in his body, and he was free. So after my mom passed away, I swore to myself, I will take better care of myself. But instead, I fell down a hole of depression. It was food. Food was my comfort. My whole life, I struggled with my weight. I did yo-yo diets. The scale would bounce up and down, and I hit a low emotionally when I could not fit on a ride at SeaWorld because it did not last. At that moment, I was super embarrassed. I needed help. I was borderline everything. I got to my all-time high of 299, and I started pursuing weight loss surgery. My husband, who's always, always known as a big guy, did this with me. We did not realize that food was our comfort. We started this journey, and in May of 2019, I went first, and I had vertical sleeve gastrectomy. And my, four months later, my husband had gastric bypass, and this saved our lives. We have lost a total of 270 pounds between the two of us, me 120 and him 150. It has changed our lives, not to mention we have saved so much money <laughs> when we eat. So now our biggest decision is agreeing on us to split a meal. Through all of this and over the years, I continued working my butt off at that solar company. I was what people would call a workaholic. I also took some college courses to better myself both professionally and personally. I was passionate about everything I did. I never gave up. If someone would tell me I couldn't do it, I'd say, watch me. I worked my way into a director role in 2019. And then there in November 2020, it all came to a close when that company closed their doors abruptly. 
I took the time off to spend with my kids. Now, six grandkids that holiday season. I was able to refocus on what was important in life, spending that time with my family. And a good friend of me of mine told me to consider Sunrun. Since we'd worked with, we had that working relationship previous with that company. So I reached out and I said, if there's ever any opportunity to join Sunrun, please keep me in mind. Responded quickly and told me, there's actually an opening if you're interested. Uh, apply as soon as possible. And I was hesitant because I read the description and I felt pretty intimidated because I saw that they prefer a bachelor's degree, which I was far from obtaining. I had the experience. I had the work ethic. I had that drive, that determination. But I took a chance and I submitted that application regardless. And after several weeks and multiple interviews, I got this job. I'm in my mid-40s. I'm in a place where I have the ability to help others and loved ones that are in need. I have many people that have judged me, thinking my life is so perfect from the outside, looking in. It may appear that way. However, in reality, they don't know that the, the journey that I have taken to get to where I am today, I still battle those darknesses from our past that we are all still working through even today. So we are actually going to individual group therapy with my children who are also considered survivors. I'm turning 45 in a few weeks. And though I'm still considered a young, one thing that life has really taught me is that life is short. Time is so valuable. If you can volunteer, because having the ability to make someone smile goes such a long way. Love those around you. Brush off the little things. It's seriously not worth it. I stop so many times and I reflect back to all the things that I've accomplished and overcome in my life. And I remind myself to keep pushing through. So who am I today? Well, my name is Michelle and I am a sun runner and I'm proud to call myself that. We all have our stories that have led us to where we are today. So being able to share my story in this cultural conversation has been an amazing experience. Thank you everybody for listening and getting to know who I am. And I'm happy to answer any questions. Michelle, thank you so much for, for sharing your story. That's just, for me, so impactful and inspiring, just the way that you tell it and all the things that you've been through. It's, I, I just can't believe it. And you're just, just such a great person. You just exude, you know, like happiness and, and care for everybody. And so I just, I, I'm, Thank you very much. Um, I'll, I'll open it up well, Thank now. you for letting me, yeah, thank you for letting me share it. Absolutely. I'll open it up for questions. If you have a question, um, feel free to just raise your hand or unmute. Hi, Michelle. Thanks so much for sharing. Uh, very, very beautiful and, and touching. Um, you're such a strong woman, holy shit, and I'm, have such a pleasure of getting to know you more and I cannot wait until you know we get together in SoCal and just share a meal together um I would like to ask what are some sort of like affirmations or anything that you tell yourself besides watch me I can do it right uh, so what do you what do you say to yourself to kind of keep yourself going just wanted to make no, I, first off, I thank you again. I look forward to getting to meet you when you come here to Southern California. Um, it's just that drive that I have, that determination, I guess, of always being told 
you know, no, 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 you can't have that. Um, it's just, in, in, it's there in me and I have that fire. So every day I just, you know, if it's something, I just keep trying. I might not be able to get to where I want today, but at least I'll get a little bit closer. So not giving up. Um, and I, I did the same thing with my kids. I, you know, I taught them, don't ever give up. What is this saying? Uh, reach for the stars or, or um, shoot for the moon. If you miss, you'll end up in the stars or something. Um, it just, it's important. Hey, Michelle. Um, thank you again. Just, you know, I, I heard this yesterday and I heard even more today. And I, I truly just feel so thankful that I have met you and had the opportunity to to learn about your life and learn about where you came from and how, what made you into the strong woman that you are today. Um, so thank you first and foremost, but I guess the only question I have, and I know you've touched on this a bit, but if you had to come away from everything in your life at this point with one lesson, what, what would it be? Oh, that's a good <laughs> One lesson, that's, you know, that's the same thing, Kenzie, a lot of people ask me too, would you have done things differently? You know, what's the one lesson? I mean, I don't regret any of it. I wish I had broke that chain earlier, that cycle. I wish I'd done that, but things didn't align. Um, so, you know, honestly, I, I wouldn't have changed anything. I, I wouldn't have gone back and, and done anything different um, to become the person I am that I am today. I think it's made me become that person that I am today, actually. I love that. Thank you. Anybody else have questions? And I, I am really an open book. I mean, I, I do come off. A lot of times I, I don't just give the. I mean, my stories are, I do have a lot. And I don't just give that. But once people hear about it, you know, a lot of times they, they have questions or want to know. and I'm. I will, you know, I'll share if there's any questions as far as the team, being a team mom, surrogacy, surrogacy, it's a passion, you know, I'm passionate about and, um, you know, the loss of loved ones, so. Yeah, um, how can I help be more involved in, uh, the Pediatric Cancer Society with you. Um, I'd love to be able to help assist with any efforts. Um, I, I haven't, you know, necessarily experienced that myself, but I love being able to, you know what I mean, just broaden where I help, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. No, thank you for asking. So I do a lot of volunteering with Alex's Lemonade Stand. <laughs> it's for childhood cancer. Um, and I'm happy to share that information with you, but just getting involved on in anything that they have going on in my area, and usually it's all over the U.S. Awesome. Thank you. I have a question, Michelle, about the, the surrogacy um, or the surrogacies that you had done. Um, I just think that's so incredible. And I know that, you know, you you when we had talked about it, you said that you were doing it so you know, as a way for you to have income and to be a stay-at-home mom. Um, but I think mm -hmm. even just the choice of doing something like that is selfless uh, for for other people. And I'm just just kind of curious about, you know, some of your experiences there and if you would, um, you know, 
what what you might say to somebody who might be considering that that avenue yeah so um you know I, one of the questions i always get asked is yeah what how do i prepare for if that's something i want to do how do i prepare for that for me it was these were family they were families i didn't know them um i'm still very close with all five of them the first one we there's no contact but all five of them i've been a part of their lives um, I'm kind of considered the aunt, so I'm not just just genetically linked to any of them. Um, they used egg donors. Every single one. I don't know if you saw the slide, but every single one of them was an egg donor. So um, I'm just, you know, having that communication and that relationship with those couples and getting through it. I always went into it with having that mindset that this is for another. This is there. I don't get that. I'm the aunt. I'm the one that's just taking care of them. Um, but starting that route, there's so much online resources that you could go to to actually discover the different types of surrogacy and, and what's entailed, what's the process. You know, there's a lot of requirements now, health-wise um, and legal, so. I think you blew our minds, Michelle. Like just, there's just so much. <laughs> If anybody has questions, by all means, I'm happy to help. Or if you don't want to ask in a group environment, you're welcome to message me. Um, but yeah, I just hope you guys enjoyed. Well, I mean, it was quite a doozy. I know that. So, <laughs> there's a lot to it. Lots of how I've become who I am today. I'm so excited that you're here at Sunrun um, and that you didn't let that that job posting intimidate you because, yeah, you're such yeah. an asset. You know, I was very, um, I sat on it for a little while and it, I was intimidated and I was like, I don't know, but I'm so thankful that I did because it has been amazing. And though it's only been 10 months, this has been a great experience for me. And I look forward to the many, many years to come we're so lucky to have you hey uh can you hear me yes we can so uh as the one that that actually posted the job rec um <laughs> i learned something today uh and i just want to thank you for that it's it's something i did i hadn't even considered um and to think that that could have been something that prevented um, us from finding someone like you to work for Sunrun would have been um, such a loss. So uh, thank you for being open about that as well. And I walk away from this with with uh, <laughs> not just that topic, but many other things. And I just like, I can't thank you enough for sharing. And uh, yeah, thank you. Thank you, Brian. Well, thank you everyone for joining today. Really, really thank you, Michelle. Um, you're fantastic. And I think you've just inspired everybody here and probably just gave us a little bit more grit and determination in our own lives too. So um, thank you. Uh, really appreciate this and everyone have a great day. 
Thank you, guys. Thank you, everyone. Thank you so much, Michelle.